What a perfect backdrop for this uh, lesson that we're going to be in today, this blessing of a, of a message that we're going to have. Have you ever loved somebody the way that Jesus loved you? Have you ever found that special someone? I'm talking about special somebody, not just, not just that old happenstance love, but that, but that real love, that real love. I'm talking about that real love. We, uh, we left last week in a Bible study series that at the time I, was, I had labeled um, the series something completely different. But it came to mind that I need to make this series title Real Love. Real Love. Yeah. You know that song? Yeah. I'm talking about that one. Yeah. Come on now. Come on. Because everybody's looking for that real love. Come on. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, Reg, Reg, I sent Reg a text, text and told him that I was changing that. Um, from I only have eyes for you to real love, because in the end, that's what we're all looking for. Real love, not that fake, not phony. Too much fake and phony in the world right now anyway. We certainly don't want to waste any time. As much energy as you have to put into a relationship, you want it to absolutely be real. And so today I want to go into what I think is the second, second part of the conversation we had last week. Last week we talked about crumbs. Crumbs. The fact that that's usually what we end up giving to our significant other. At the end of the day, no matter how much time God gives us, we usually end up just sharing crumbs of our day and our time and our experience with them. And that can't make a relationship last. And so we're going to talk about in this marriage rehab marriage renew series we're going to talk about real love we're going to have to learn how to give good quality time to our partner and that leads us to our second conversation second part of it today i want to use as a central connector for us the topic of unrealistic expectations unrealistic expectations because they can be the death nail to a relationship unrealistic expectation first of all what is a what is an expectation? It's uh, the act or state of looking forward to or anticipating something. In other words, I've already got a preconceived notion on what I think is going to happen. And the question is, is that a realistic expectation or is it an unrealistic expectation? Think about all the things that go into building up our knowledge of what's going to happen. I remember the first time Mama was able to take us uh, on a trip to Disney World. I had waited so long to go on that trip. I was so excited about all the magical things because I watched all these television shows, all these commercials about what Disney World was. But can I tell you something? It was nice, but it never, ever could have, it never could have risen to the level of expectation that I had once I got there. I thought we'd be flying on something. I thought we'd get there and Mickey Mouse would be running around all day. I never even saw Mickey Mouse. The entire, not the entire time we were there, not him walking around. I never saw it on that trip. My expectations, I don't think they were unrealistic. But just can I tell you that sometimes life just doesn't bring you the things you anticipate. And when you bring those things into a marriage, when you let them become the foundation of what you expect in a marriage or in a relationship, it can cause problems. Now, not all marriage expectations are wrong. 
No, not all of them. Not all of them are unreasonable. But most of our marriage expectations are built on, a, watch this now, a spirit of pride or a spirit of self-thought, a spirit of what I think it ought to be without much consideration for what the other person has in mind. And if we don't re learn to recognize on the front end what those expectations are and whether they're realistic or reasonable, then we can become embittered toward our partner and we can blame them for our marriage not being the way we thought it should be. We can see in scripture some situations. Come on now, into the Bible. Of course, we gotta talk about scripture. We can see some examples of unrealistic expectations or unmet, let me say that, unmet expectations throughout scripture. If you will, if you'll turn to 2 Kings chapter five, there's a story there. There's a story there that I believe gives us a foundation for a scriptural les lesson today in this topic. We're going to see in 2 Kings chapter 5, if you've never been there before, once you start reading, you run directly into a man who was a superstar. His name was Naaman, Naaman, and Naaman was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. In other words, he was the captain of the king's guard, of his army. Let me read this for you. Starting at verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. Watch this now. He's a great man. The king loves him. He's brave. He's won battles for the king. T, but the last part of that sentence wrecks all that. It says, but he was a leper. Wow. All of these wonderful things that he has, but he was a leper. If you've been in a church anytime, anywhere in the last, I don't know, in your life, you may have heard a preacher preaching about leprosy. Leprosy was the scourge of the day. It was a disease. And the disease was horrible. Leprosy was the kind of disease that showed up in splotches all over your body. It was easy to tell who had leprosy. But leprosy wasn't just a topical skin disease. Leprosy was a down, deep skin disease. And before long, you would have debilitating effects from it. You would start losing digits or toes or arms. or It was horrible. Your eye, you might lose any part of your body because leprosy was that bad. And so now watch this. He's the mighty man of the, of the city. He's the mighty man in the palace. He's valorous. He's rich. But he's got the world's most hated disease. And so... The Bible says that he was searching for a cure. And he sought out the priest. And he knew that the priest should be able to help him. And so what he did was sent out across the kingdom. And when he was uh, satisfied that he had the answer, he got a host of his men together, a group of his men together, an official entourage. And he went to the prophet Elisha because he knew Elisha had been healing people the rumors were there, the stories were there. He said, I'll go to Elijah and I will beg him to give me this cure. And so he took his official, uh, he took his official delegation to Elijah and when he got there, he asked him to bless him. Bless him by praying to his God. Praying to the God they love. 
that healing might come to him. But Elisha, watch this now, he expected because of who he was, because of the position he had, because he came with an official entourage, he expected to be given almost a king's welcome by Elisha. The scripture says, but Elisha simply sent, watch this now, his servant out to meet him at the door with instructions for Naaman to simply go and dip seven times in the, in the Jordan River. He didn't let him in the house, didn't go out and meet him, didn't have dinner with him. He simply sent his servant to the door and said, excuse me, Mr. Naaman, uh, uh, Master Elijah said, go dip seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be okay. You can imagine the bubble of expectation that Naaman had probably burst immediately. Not only that, he was offended because of the stature he had in the community. I deserve better than this. And on top of that, you're going to send me to the muddy Jordan River and expect a man of my stature to get down in that ditch for cleaning? Expectations. Lost sight of his goal. Lost sight of the fact that all he wanted was to get cured of leprosy. It took the servant, watch this now, it took the servant girl to get him straight. The servant girl said, Master, if the master had come and told you to do some grand and wondrous thing, and that would have cured your, le your leprosy, you would have listened to him. And yet, because he, thought, he told you to do this thing that you consider to be small, you ignore him. I love this about this example of expectations because Naaman gives us the full example. The Bible says that when he heard it, watch this, 2 Kings 5 and 11, look. But Naaman was wroth, angry, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Watch this now. Underline this. Behold, I thought, but I thought he was going to do this. Fortunately for us in this lesson and for Naaman in his blessing, somebody calmed him down. Amen. Got him to go back. And because of his obedience in dipping seven times in the Jordan River, as muddy as it was, the Bible said as he came out of the water on the seventh time, his baby was as smooth as his body was as smooth as a baby's. In other words, he got the blessing that he thought. So let me ask you this now. In your relationship, when you're with someone, do you have sometimes when you think everything's going to go a certain way and you get there and all you get is muddy water? You get there and all you get is a circumstance that's exactly unlike you thought. Maybe it's not the other person. Maybe it's simply your expectations were in the wrong place. Naaman humbled himself. Have you humbled yourself in those situations? So let's talk about this. I've heard many unrealistic expectations from couples throughout the years, from people throughout the years. They usually begin with the same conversation that Naaman had, but I thought. But I thought. Let me, let me give you some common ones. Yeah. But I thought marriage would make me happy. But I thought. 
Marriage would make me happy. Yeah, yeah. It's easy for folk, especially for people who are not yet married or who are struggling in their marriage, to turn marriage into, write this down now, to turn marriage into a personal idol. Yeah, people will turn their marriage into something they worship. Yeah, you can worship a job. You can worship a marriage. You can worship a title. People worship the concept of marriage. And in so worshiping it, they believe that the perfect spouse is the answer to any unhappiness they have in life. In other words, my life will be complete if I get the perfect spouse. First of all, you can imagine the way I'm saying it, that this is an unreasonable expectation. It's incredible pressure on the spouse because they are expected to fulfill anything that's lacking in your life so that when the issue arises, you are happy. It's just impossible for anyone to rise to that occasion because no spouse is perfect. No person, no one person can solve or be the single source of your happiness. You have to be happy to be happy. You have to be full, complete to be happy. And when you're not there, your spouse pouring all they're able to into you won't make that happen for you. Only one source I found continuously that can help you rise to that level of happiness, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only source of a continuing happiness, and that's not happiness, that's joy he brings with you. And joy is the continued that occurs no matter your circumstance. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a part of being in a holy connection with him. And so no one can help you become happy if you're simply not happy. Some other folk come up with this excuse, but I thought my spouse would meet all my needs. Yeah, if you come into a relationship focusing only on your needs, it's going to ruin the relationship anyway, because that completely excludes the other, the other person's needs or requirements. Every spouse has unique needs. Every husband, every wife has something that they need in order to be fulfilled. Ephesians 5 is the scripture that we always turn to in this space when it talks about husbands and wives. And in fact, it speaks to the individual nature. That scripture speaks to the individual nature of each spouse's needs. But watch this now. But it commands wives to honor their husbands and husbands to love their wives. Don't miss what's obvious in this scripture now. The command for each spouse is to meet the other's needs, not to focus on their own needs. That's a big difference. When you come in expecting that you will only derive fulfillment, then that's a problem for you. How about this one? But I thought he or she would change after we got married. Oh, this is crucially wrong. Horribly bad. Marrying somebody with the expectation that they're going to become a different person after marriage is unreasonable, it's unfair, because marriage 
is not a magic change agent that can transform somebody, all right? Before you were married, your job is to make sure that the person you're going to marry, you're anticipating marrying, is the one who fits your personality. If they don't fit your personality, then you do better to stop before you get married than to expect that you have enough about you to change them once you do. After, watch this, you're not going to like this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later in this sermon. After you get married, your job is to work to understand and love the person you marry, not to focus on changing them. How about this one, though, church? But I thought if I found the right one, marriage would be easy. I've said it before. I heard my daughter-in-law say it earlier this week on a podcast with, with Anthony. On a good day, marriage is hard. On the best day the two of you have had together, marriage is hard on that day because you're still trying to blend two folk together on that day. I don't know if the word easy ever needs to be involved in the concept of marriage. I don't know that marriage was designed to be easy. Good marriages take effort. Some people put so much effort into it, it makes it looks, look effortless, but that doesn't mean it was. It simply means they worked really, really hard to love and understand, accept and appreciate one another. It requires real work to understand your spouse, to honor your spouse, to love your spouse. A spouse who is passionate about a, a strong marriage it's always, watch this now, fine-tuning their relationship. Just like fine-tuning the signal on a digital player. You want to get as clear a signal as you can. How about this last one? But I thought good marriages never struggle. Never struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that's been married for any longer than an hour. Yeah. Well, no. Well, no, <laughs> yeah, you, you don't even have to leave the ceremony before you're already having some disagreement about something, about something. Uh, how about, it's time to go. I ain't ready to go yet. My folks still here. My, I ain't seen my cousins. Uh, but you just married me, but my cousins came from New York just for the wedding. I need to spend at least another 30 minutes with them. I'm ready to go home and change clothes. I'm not. <laughs> Before you even leave the ceremony, that problem, struggle. Every marriage is going to reach a point, no matter how smoothly it's been sailing, if it has been, where it hits a wall. Why? Because the people in the marriage are ever-changing. They're ever-growing. Things are happening individually to them. Your job might be affecting how things are going on at the house. Your job might be ending. Your job might be starting. There's a whole lot of variables that affect how a marriage will affect the couple. So there's faulty expectation that leads them to assume that their marriage is already as good as it gets, can quickly be blown apart. If you encounter a season where there's struggle, then you start realizing that every difficulty you have can be worked through by God's grace and ultimately works to drive you closer together 
and make your marriage stronger than it was. There's a biblical truth to the old song that says, each victory helps us another to win. I heard one philosopher say, we know our marriage is okay when we walk through the storm and we're still holding hands. That makes us understand that storms weren't meant to be fought alone, but it's better if we fight them together. You need to seek counsel. You need to seek outside counsel. If you're only seeking counsel inwardly, then you don't have a good perspective. You need somebody who's been through something May not be exactly what you've been through, but something to give you some perspective. And let me say this from the pulpit. Sometimes you need to get some professional help in order to help you get through it. It ain't always at the seat of the pastor that you can get the best advice, particularly if he is not versed or schooled in all the issues you're dealing with. When you hear yourself say, but I just thought, that's a clue that you may be dealing with some unmet expectations. There are also some ways you can strengthen yourself when it comes to dealing with your marriage. And I want you to walk away. If you haven't been taking any notes, I hope you have, but I want you to write these down, all right? Because in order to strengthen your marriage and make sure you don't have unrealistic expectations, there are some things I just need you to know today that you don't have to do, all right? You do not have to do these things because people believe if I don't do these I won't have the perfect marriage even if you do them you won't have the perfect marriage but let me give you some strength some things that can strengthen you don't have to be the center of their universe all right you don't have to be the center of their universe when a man is I'm going to tell it from the man's perspective obviously because I don't have the other perspective to tell from when a man, come on up here then, sister. <laughs> when a man is pursuing a woman, he will put all his focus on winning her. He'll dine her and he'll take her to events and the movies, go on hikes with her, do something. He'll go to church with her, even if he wasn't going to church. But once he's achieved the objective, once the I do's have been done, then he moves on to not lesser important things, but other important things. His focus shifts from pursuit to maintenance. For example, earning money to take care of her. Those are not unimportant things. Learning how to provide for her. Sacrificing to keep her in the standard of living that she's accustomed to or into a new standard of living, better than she was accustomed to. All right, that's gonna be great for him to feel under those circumstances that he's doing a good job, but a woman under those circumstances who's used to the pursuit may just feel neglected under those circumstances because he's not concentrating on me per se like he used to, but in fact, he really is. It's just a new level of relationship with you, not the whining and dining per se, but the keeping is what he's concentrating on. If you spend the time complaining to him about it, then he's gonna have the natural feeling you don't appreciate all the hard work he's doing to take care of you. 
neither person is wrong. You're just looking at the situation from a different perspective. You can see how having this unrealistic expectation that you have to be the center of this universe is going to throw you into conflict. It's helpful to remember that along with the obligations of taking care of the household and maintaining the strength of your home place, he also has to manage relationships with other people who are important in his life as well, like his family, like his friends, like his coworkers. All of those are also crucial to his mental and, and physical well-being. You can't be every waking thought, every waking moment, every waking day and expect to have a healthy relationship. In fact, you're going to find that you need to find some things to occupy yourself with. You need to find some space for yourself so that you too can have a balanced life. You don't have to be the center of their universe. The second thing is you need to know that you don't have to be able, this is big now, you don't have to be able to read each other's mind to be in love. Yeah, I, I see these couples all the time. They all get it before they get married. We just belong together. We just love each other, and then we can just, we can just finish each other's thoughts. We can finish each other's sentences. Not for long. <laughs> Not for long, because for long, if you continue on that path, you're not going to want to know what the other person is thinking because it means that there's not any space between the two of you. It means that there is no I in the relationship. And when a person loses themselves in a relationship, they become no good. If they're only trying to be everything you want them to be and never anything they want to be, that's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. Expecting your spouse to read your mind is very unrealistic. And it's also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, write it down, very immature. Very immature. To think that somebody is going to know what you're thinking. It's impossible. Think about it. You got good friends you've been close to for longer than you have been in this relationship, and you don't always know what they're thinking. And you love them too. How in the world can you know that the key word here you need to write down is communication. Communication is the key. So you need to get in the habit of saying what you need. I heard that again too on this podcast. You need to say what you need, what you require. Say it completely. I don't like this. I do like this. I need this. I don't like it when you do A, B, or C. Explain in detail what it would look like based on what you have in mind. Put it into words. And my grandson told all the time, use your words. I'm telling couples right now, if you want to get better, if you want to stay better, use your words. If you love them, then you should give them the opportunity to win with you. And they can only do that if they know what makes you happy and what's important to you. They shouldn't have to figure it out. No magic mind-reading trick. The best way to be with each other is to be intentional and conscious about what's going on. Yes, there are going to be some things. 
that you're going to pick up. There are going to be some clues you'll pick up. You go to the grocery store enough with your spouse, for long you'll start picking up what your spouse likes to pick up off the shelf, which means when you go shopping without your spouse, you'll be able to do that because you know he or she always gets this. You go to a restaurant long enough with your spouse, you'll know that he always orders his steak medium which means when he's not with you and you want to surprise him, you'll be able to surprise him with a steak that's been cooked medium. And he can say, oh, you knew exactly what I wanted. Why? Because I picked up on the context clues. I've been paying attention to you. But if you've been married for 10 years and you can't tell your wife what her favorite ice cream is, you might not have been paying attention enough. You may not have been doing the part you need to do to understand who that person is. You don't have to agree with each other all the time. That's another big one. We don't have to agree in order to make progress. In fact, sometimes it's better when I bring my idea to the table, you bring your idea to the table, and we come up with a hybrid of our ideas. It probably ends up including a little bit of what each one of us wants. That's always a strengthening thing for a marriage when we can compromise and everybody gets what they want. It's a great thing for a husband to surprise his wife with a brand new car she might like. What's not so good is when she come out and she say, I ain't never liked them seats in that car because you didn't ask her what kind of seat she wanted in the car. You just wanted to surprise her. Probably better when you go out and say, it's time to get another car. Let's go shopping for another car. So you can get the features in the car that you want, and I can get the features that I want, and we can make sure it's in the right price range. But we don't have to agree all the time. The reality is, both of you come from different backgrounds. Because you come from different backgrounds, because you come from different beliefs, both of you have your own sets of weird thoughts it's okay sometimes if you don't agree. In fact, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I've told the church so many times that my palate has been enhanced since I married Karen. Because most of us grow up in a household and we eat based on what our parents like in the house. You don't have a parent who's cooking a wider range of food. Then you may not have that many experiences. But I came from that kind of situation where mama didn't cook what daddy didn't like. It was a waste of time. He wasn't going to eat it. But my wife came up in a situation where they cooked a wider range of foods. And because of that, I now eat those foods that I once thought I didn't like. I didn't eat squash when I was growing up unless it was full of cheese. Because that's how it was cooked in the house. Daddy didn't like squash. I don't know why. So mama, when she cooked it, she put cheese in it and made it a casserole. But my wife grew up with fresh squash, with onions in it, sauteed, a whole different level of cooking. Why? Why? Because that's how she grew up. We don't have to agree all the time. Now, if it had just been the two of us, we, if I had just gone to the grocery store, I never would have bought squash. Wouldn't have known how to buy it. Would have been missing out on that blessing because I'd have just gone with what I thought. Thank God for looking and learning and watching. How about this one? You don't have to agree with each other all the time. And this is, I want to go back to this one briefly. 
and you don't have to think that he should change or she should change for you. No. This is huge. This is huge because many young, again from the man's perspective, many men are afraid to commit because of the expectation that they will have to change for most women. They have to change. And look, men typically carry most of their burdens alone, which means they've never shared this with anyone, while women have a more gregarious personality and typically they, are, they have confidants or friends that they share some of their issues with. But did you know, watch this now, that expecting a man to change is disrespecting who he is already. Yeah, expecting him to change, to fit your notion of what your husband is supposed to be is disrespectful of what he already is. And in fact, he thought you were marrying him because of who he was. And when you get into marriage, now you tell him, I need you to be something else in order for me to be satisfied. That's offensive to who he is. If he didn't fit the bill of who you wanted on the front end, then you shouldn't have said I do. Should not have gone there. But the notion that now that you're in a marriage, he has to change is offensive to him. Does that mean he won't change? Maybe, but never to the extent that you need him to. You're never going to get, because your lifestyle is a white-collar lifestyle and his lifestyle is a blue-collar lifestyle, you're never going to get him to accept after he's worked a blue-collar lifestyle for 20, 15 years that he's going to now be in a white-collar lifestyle. It's simply not who he is. And expecting that is offensive. Now, does that mean he won't do some things? He might. He might. I'm not saying that... A, a man won't change for a woman because I've seen it too many times. But that doesn't mean they're comfortable. Doesn't mean they are who they want to be. The truth is, he'll only change if he want to change. All right? And if he doesn't have the right habits, don't marry him. If you're embarrassed by him when you're dating, don't expect that he's going to not embarrass you when you get married. That's simply the re And this is true both ways. This is true both ways. The reality is many people don't change. It takes a whole lot of people a, a whole lot of time to change. How do I know that? Because I deal with people who have addictions. And even though they are bad for them, even though they hurt them, it's the most difficult thing in the world to change those negative habits. And we're not even talking about negative habits here. We're talking about habits that don't hurt you but they are a core part of who you are. Find somebody instead whose character, whose activities align with yours. They might not be as fine as this other dude. They might not look like he look in jeans, all right? But they'll align with your core values and your character. And let me say this too. You should not be with someone who you disagree with fundamentally. The Bible talks about this all the time. You should not marry somebody who you don't have a foundational agreement with. You're in the word, they ain't in the word at all. You're not likely to convert them quickly enough. No, no, no. You're not their savior. Jesus is. 
And because of that, you need to make sure they know Jesus before they get to know you. And I mean know you in the biblical sense. They need to know Jesus already. Why? Because then your foundation of knowledge is the same. You can grow from a foundation of knowing Jesus. Jesus has requirements for each one of us. And if they already know him, they'll be better able to follow his requirements. But if you got to first introduce them to Jesus and then what Jesus requires, that's a heavy lift for anybody. So that's why parents are always telling their children, we don't want to make, we don't want to see you make a mistake and marry somebody who is not equally yoked with you. That means they don't come out of the same belief system. Now, this might sound offensive, but it's practical. That's why they always want to know, as soon as you bring somebody home, the first question they ask you is where they from? Who they folk? I want to know who their people are. Why? Because you don't understand how significant that's going to be the longer you're in a relationship. If you're spending every waking moment of the first five years of your life simply trying to get them to love the Lord, you got a problem on your hand. You ought to be at that point growing in the Lord. How can the Lord be the unseen presence in every conversation when he's never inviting the Lord to the table? You're praying to someone they don't know about. They don't understand and don't respect. And I know it's going to be a happy day when that conversion comes, if you simply live your life. But watch this now. Watch this. You now are a mature Christian with a baby Christian. When you need somebody to help you grow and be strengthened in your walk, they're not at a place to help you do that because they're just learning the foundation of the Lord. Will they ever get that? They might. They might, but not at a place to help you grow like you should. And so what do you do? You necessarily, to strengthen yourself, start spending more time outside of your relationship because you need somebody to feed into you. And that creates problems. Don't marry when you're unequally yoked. Don't marry. You can get mad at me for saying this, but I'm telling you, it creates problems. Does it never work? Sometimes it does. Does it create more problems? Yeah. Most of the time, 60% of the people who get married get divorced. Oh, yeah. It's a big number. It's a big number. And it's because they didn't go through enough, can I say this word, Karen? Courting. They didn't, they didn't go through enough getting to know one another. They simply assumed it would be all right. And the last thing I want to tell you is this, and this is particularly true in a 2020 concept. Don't, you don't have to think that he will take care of all of your financial needs. This is big. I'll tell you why it's big. It's big because, first of all, women make more money than men now on the regular. In college, whenever you go on a college campus, particularly, particularly in HBCU, you're going to find a ratio of nine young women to every man on campus. Nine to one, and that's probably being uh, an underestimate. Most of the time these days, a young lady's gonna make more money and can make at least the same amount of money as her husband. With that being said, parents aren't raising their daughters 
to find somebody to take care of them. They're raising them to be independent and able to take care of their own needs. And so what does that mean? That means you need to find someone who is financially compatible with you, who's not expecting that he'll be, have to take care of all your needs, nor is he expecting, because you balling, you're going to take care of all his needs. That's going to create a problem as well. You need somebody who's willing to work with you. What a beautiful thing to see a, a couple that's working together, growing together, buying and spending wisely together, doing what you can together. Not one for everybody, but both for all. I'm expecting that this should not be a barrier. And if you're marrying somebody with the expect, expectation that he's going to pay all the bills, you're going to kill him fast. Working them two and three jobs, he's got to work in order to maintain the household. And he's not going to be able to do all that extra stuff, working two and three jobs, and then take that annual vacation somewhere, and then go on all the little weekend excursions. It simply cannot happen. It's unrealistic to think that anybody can maintain that kind of pace. Togetherness means just that, y'all, togetherness. Unity means working together. Unrealistic expectations can be the death knell of a relationship. Can I tell you what happened? You got to humble yourself, just like Naaman did. Even if you have to get down in the dirty water sometimes, you got to be able to listen to someone who's less informed about some things than you. Naaman listened to a servant, and the servant gave him wise instructions. Find somebody who can help teach you. Can I tell you right now, I may not have all the experience you have in relationships. Maybe I have more. I'm here to tell you, though, but a good foundation will help you get through all the problems you have. Jesus Christ is a good foundation. If you want to start out on the right foot when it comes to being married, if you want to strengthen the relationship you already have, if you want to rehab the problems you've been having, get to a level plane in terms of your spirituality. Get to know Jesus, and then get to know him in a better way. If your spouse has never met Jesus, introduce him or her to Jesus Christ. Use him as the foundation. Use him as the one who's going to carry you to the next level. He died for us. Not only did he die for us, he was resurrected for us. Watch this. There's newness all around in the relationship with Jesus. New life, new strength in your marriage. Choose him and choose a better way for you. God bless you. We'll see you next week in that Real Love series. I appreciate you being in the cyber sanctuary with us. Take care.